Welcome to Building the Future. I'm your host, Kevin Horick. You can check out new episodes of the show every Tuesday and Thursday at 2 p.m. If you missed an episode or want to get more information about the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Matt Johnner. He's the president and co-founder at Bank Labs. Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. When we kind of first connected and I, and I checked out kind of what you guys are doing at Bank Labs, I, I thought it was actually really, really interesting. And I love kind of people that are bringing technology into kind of a non-traditional industry or it hasn't really been known for being technically innovative, right? But maybe before we kind of get into Bank Labs and everything you're doing there, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. Sounds great. Uh, I like to joke that um, it all started when I was seven, sure. growing up in the Adirondacks. I'm teasing. It won't be that long of a story. No, <laughs> we we grew up in uh, we grew up in the Adirondacks. I'm the last of seven. Uh, awesome family. We still go back every every uh, summer to uh, Joe Indian. Okay, it's a small uh, lake in between Lake Placid and Montreal, okay. and just a really great place to grow up. And uh, go pick blueberries in the summer, make your own blueberry pancakes and fishing and skipping rocks and uh, a really great, great place to grow up. But as uh, you might gather, uh, quite cold, not a ton of economic uh, opportunity and uh, not a ton of pretty girls. So when my brother-in-law suggested I go check out Texas A&M University, I jumped on a plane and fell in love with it. And that's where I went to school. Interesting. So what did you take at Texas A&M? Uh, another fun part of the story, I guess. So I was uh, pre-law management and political science and, uh, uh, brother-in-law decided that that was not a choice. He was also very supportive of. So he sent me to a friend's law firm in Houston for, uh, for a little bit of an internship, which turned out not to be a fun experience. So, uh, (laughs) so I started looking, uh, when I was at the end of my junior year, um, saw that uh, a company called Bayroid, which is now a division of Halliburton, an oil and gas services firm, sure. uh, that they were looking for junior engineers to go live and work overseas under a senior engineer and learn the ropes, and hopefully stay in those countries like Yemen and the Emirates and Nigeria and Jakarta and Bogota, Colombia, and, and then uh, go that route. So I, I did. I went over and started uh, based out of Dubai, uh, the UAE. Uh, UAE, uh, spent a lot of time in Yemen, and then went to uh, for round two to Nigeria, after which uh, uh, they wanted me to go to Laredo on the uh, Texas-Mexican border, which didn't seem quite as fun, didn't have the same economic opportunity, no hazard bonus, wasn't as sexy. So uh, I resigned, and that's kind of where part two of my life came in. I went to work for Ross Perot at Perot Systems in Dallas, Texas. That's how I got here in 1994. Okay, very cool. So walk me through kind of because you've, you've done a bunch of things before you before Bank Lab. So do you maybe want to kind of quickly walk me and the listener through kind of the different roles you had and, and then kind of up right until you kind of decided to co-found Bank Labs? Yeah, absolutely. And appreciate you asking. Really, pretty much my entire life has been entrepreneurism. Um, whether it be starting my own company or uh, buying into companies that were small uh, or what we're doing now. Uh, and really where I found that I am good is 
um, scaling companies. So taking something that already has a defined product idea okay. um, may not have exactly the right product market fit yet, but I can uh, and I enjoy spinning through lots of different scenarios, testing the market. I enjoy personally selling to see what resonates, kind of like a little bat flying around a cave. You're pinging for resonance in the market. And uh, so had done really a lot of that, whether it was uh, early number portability sales at Perot Systems, where we and Lockheed split the uh, North American number portability opportunity, where that allowed um, individuals to carry your phone number from one uh, telecom provider to another. That was in the uh, middle to late 90s, uh, whether it had been working at a a small startup uh, doing uh, what was then the precursor to soft switches, bridging the voice over IP networks and public switch telephone networks, uh, being acquired by a company called Telecom Technologies, a wonderful husband-wife uh, duo, uh, Hamid, Anusha, and Sari. Anusha was, uh, I think, formerly the first non-governmental uh, or non-governmental uh, woman in space. Uh, she very was cool. involved with the XPRIZE, yep, very brilliant woman, and so telecom technologies uh, really took that early vision of a soft switch and, and made it their own and did very, very well um, selling to Sonus Networks, uh, which still exists. I uh, went uh, started my own company in 99, not the best time in the world. We did uh, services-based supply chain. Um, I like to say got hit by a ball. Uh, so dazed and confused. Uh, from there, I was um, contacted by the former uh, head of Perot Systems, a uh, great gentleman named Joe Boyd. He uh, uh, worked for Mort Meyerson. Uh, Mort Meyerson is, um, was Ross Perot's yin to yang, I guess, oh, and uh, forming and growing electronic data systems, which sold to GM. And I worked um, around them, not directly for, but around them at Perot Systems when he was chairman and CEO of Perot Systems. So went to work for his family office called 2M, uh, helping him with an investment he made in India. Spent a lot of time outside New Delhi in a city called Gurgaon okay. and uh, created a healthcare business process outsourcing company. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, there's there's a number of things. Went to um, a company called ACS, um, got into the education space, education technology, bought in to a uh, small um, financial aid processing company and wonderful time with my partners there. Founder Jimmy Addison was just amazing, and we grew that company from nine million to thirty-three million, and wow. went and uh, helped um, uh, a sister company, Collegiate Admission and Retention Solutions, another education technology company owned by the same majority owner family out of Alabama. Great gentleman named Ken Horn, and uh, was building that up. So that kind of takes me pretty current. I left cars. Um, Collegiate Admission Retention Solutions, and went back to 2M. So my third stint with Mr. Meyerson, who's amazing, and um, went and uh, ran, uh, sourced and managed technology investments with a couple other folks there. So that, at that point, my uh, partner, who's also my father-in-law, Mike Montgomery, just brilliant product guy in banking and, and bank technology, um, he had formed Radius Group, our holding company, in 2010, which I subsequently invested in and uh, joined the board of. And that led to us uh, forming Bank Labs in January of 2016. And that was, I'm sure, a very rambling 
take me current type scenario. No, no, so. that's good, man. Um, before we kind of get into Bank Labs, though, I'm curious, how did you meet your co-founder? I, I always love those stories. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'm not sure if he had much of a choice because uh, it's my father-in-law as oh, okay. well. And so, <laughs> <laughs> so, so he uh, he's uh, part uh, banker. He was born into a banking family. His grandfather was on the Federal Reserve out of Idaho. His father started a, a bank in Idaho, which was acquired by Key Corp, um, a bank holding company. And uh, he is on um, a board of uh, what is now one of the largest CDFI banks in the country, community development financial institutions, which right. are meant to help underrepresented areas. And so uh, the other half of them was a uh, progressively more responsible uh, bank technologist, was an early engineer of a company called Systematics, which was the dominant core provider uh, of the day in 70s, 80s, and 90s, acquired by Altel, uh, became renamed Altel Information Services, where he uh, rose through there to be EVP of Altel and uh, division president and head of their healthcare group. Uh, and when um, Altel sold to Verizon, Alta Information Services was spun out to IS Global, which is now the world's largest financial technology company. So uh, he has a great background in banking and, and bank technology. Sure. No, I, I think that yeah. that's actually really cool. So what exactly is Bank Labs and why did you guys decide to create it? Right. So Bank Labs, we create mobile uh, technology products for community banks, which we define as less a size, more of a way of doing business in market relationship-based banking. Okay. And so we want to level the playing field for community banks to have wonderful in-market relationship-based bankers, okay. um, but have not necessarily had the same level of technology that some of the new fintech companies do or some of the larger multinational banks. So our mission really is to help community banks uh, scale with quality and leverage that in-market relationship-based banking by giving them mobile and uh, marketplace technologies as well. Okay, no, that's that's very cool. So for, for people that maybe are, are a little bit unclear, like you kind of said it's a little bit of an attitude kind of thing towards the, the space, but how do you guys kind of define community banks? Right, so community banks in our world are, are truly banks that um, leverage in market relationships okay. and have real feet on the street that know the communities they operate in, are trusted advisors to their clients. They're, let's say it's a manufacturing shop or a, a restaurant chain or whatever it may be. And um, they have that relationship with the ownership um, so that um, you can make better decisions on the ground. You can make more timely decisions and they can be more relevant to that business than uh, sometimes a pure online transaction or a, or a, um, a distant transaction. And so, you know, our products, as an example, our um, construction loan automation is one. It's a product called Construct. Okay. So any lender, uh, doesn't have to be a community bank, could be a credit union, another financial institution. Uh, so any lender that does construction, whether it be builder finance, where you have a home building firm building um, 10, 50, 100, 200 houses some a year, whether it's a commercial developer building a new retail center or a warehouse or a motel, or whether it's a uh, mortgage operation that is selling uh, custom homes that you or I would uh, would build sure. uh, and take a construction loan out. So we automate that with what we call mobile-first, banker-first approach. 
Okay. So we designed for the banker, not the bank. Um, the bank benefits, of course, through real-time cloud-based technology, but we want it to be a really great connective experience for the user, the banker, uh, as well as their customers, builders, and borrowers. And uh, so it's it's banker first, it's mobile first, and that it's meant to be used out in the field. Um, of course, it can be used via laptop and all that for the power users, the loan administrators, and the bank, but we want a lot of mobility and a lot of banker-first design. So it automates all that construction lending, text messages when an inspection is done to the borrower, uh, speeds up money movement, reduces admin costs, you know, reduces risk, which is a big deal in banks through sure. real-time decision-making, that type of thing. No, that's, that's, actually, that's actually really cool. So kind of walk me through a bit more of the process so like a bank comes to you guys and says i'm interested in in you know this um construction loan automation product that you guys have how do you guys work with that bank to actually implement your product inside their institution right so we target banks and or credit unions that do a meaningful amount of construction lending which is not so much um it's more of a percentage of their assets. So if you're a $200 million bank, uh, but you do $30 million of construction lending, that's a lot for a bank your size. Sure. So we, we really try to build a list of banks that uh, do a fair amount of construction lending for their size. Um, and then we reach out to them. We set demos, typically an hour-long demo, 30 minutes to an hour. Okay. And uh, then we move them into a free trial. So we offer a 30-day free trial. And, um, and okay. sorry, are you there? Yeah, I'm there. Oh, oh yeah. So we, uh, I think I lost you there for a sec. We have a demo, then we move to a free trial okay. and then uh, they convert to a paying state. Got you. So how do you guys find which banks to kind of reach out to that are playing in that space? Cause I think a lot of people struggle with kind of finding their target audience. Yeah, absolutely. So we look for banks that we like to say need or want change. Okay. Um, this is, um, we are not yet perfected this. So we certainly don't have a crystal ball, but we look for banks that um, show indications of needing or want change. So often that is they're in a hot growth market. So with regard to construction loan automation, they're in a, um, a hot uh, geographic area. They may be a bank that's acquiring other banks. They may be uh, a bank where others in their market are being acquired and they feel like they need to have a competitive differentiator. They may be a bank that's on one of the regulator lists that um, shows that they have a lot of commercial real estate lending and therefore under more scrutiny than others, uh, therefore having modern mobile tools to replace the current spreadsheets that are used in paper. Uh, those sure. are desirable characteristics typically, yeah. Okay, no, no, that makes, makes a lot of sense, right? And then I'm, how do you guys kind of charge for this? Is it kind of user base? Is it per banker or how does that fee structure kind of shake out? So we typically charge on a monthly basis okay. uh, based upon uh, kind of the size that they are asset-wise and their general construction activity. We uh, we don't really believe in transactional pricing. Okay. Uh, occasionally it makes sense, but uh, we believe that uh, pricing that gives our clients room to move 
up or down uh, without feeling like they have to watch a lot of widgets uh, is important. Sure. So did you guys kind of self-fund this or did you kind of raise some money or how did you kind of build version one of Bank Labs? Right. So we bootstrapped it. Okay. Uh, there's um, a handful of us that fund the company. We, we take pride in that. Uh, the discipline to bootstrap is important. Now, uh, the good news is our holding company, Radius Group, was formed in 2010, okay. and it incubated us. In 2015, we uh, started having Radius Group build uh, what became the Construct product uh, and what we launched formally Bank Labs with in January of 2016. So, uh, you know, we have the benefit of being a, a startup, and sure. we're now, what, 22 months old. Um, but we also had the benefit of, of the incubation period from our holding company. And so um, that, that's very helpful. Yeah, no, sure. So you also have this Oreo product. So what exactly is that? And how is it similar or different than the construction loan automation product? Right. So it's the same concept. It's cloud-based, mobile-first, banker-first and it attacked a problem that we saw in the market. Uh, Oreo stands for other real estate owned or okay. foreclosed asset. And so banks that um, foreclose on property, whether it be raw land, commercial or residential property, they really don't want to do that. They're not in the business of, of being landlords or real estate management companies. So they, they really don't like to do that. And most banks today manage that also on spreadsheets. So it's a very noisy spreadsheet based wow. process, a lot of paper. And so it meets one of the, you know, the same sets of criteria of any of our cloud based products, which are noisy spreadsheets, paper based. We've got to take them to be, you know, mobile, uh, automated, electronic. Uh, so, yeah, that's a good example. And and uh, yeah. No, I, I think that's that's actually interesting. So did you guys basically you're obviously leveraging the same product for kind of, or the same core for both products, but obviously it's a little bit different based on, you know, the, the two spaces. Is that fair to say? That is fair. We, we look for reuse, which is what I would call it, or sure. scalability with quality and everything we do, whether that's product development or distribution, uh, capital structures. So we do look for ways that, case you're absolutely right the product we are able to get good reuse out of our SOC 2 data centers our document management systems our security systems our you know yada uh, th those types of things sure no i i think why i bring this up because i think it's actually really important to kind of stress again is being able to build something like a core or for lack of a better term that you could basically reuse in the same industry but kind of in in different verticals and you know, obviously, you, you could add a bunch of other kind of verticals in the future if you guys choose to or, or not. It doesn't really matter. But you have this kind of solid core in a product that allows you to kind of move into other verticals within the same space, which I think is really good advice to people looking at actually building their own kind of startup, especially in the software space with kind of a mobile first approach, right? Because obviously, you started with one before you had the other, correct? Correct, absolutely. So, uh, yeah. I, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I know, I think you're right on. I think that 
anytime you can um, scale with quality, and that's based upon reusing something that's already established and has been successful in its own right, is helpful because it does reduce a lot of the uh, things that can go wrong or a lot of the things that you have to do. So just thinking about encrypted data and encrypted documents and login systems and document management systems, uh, there's a lot of great work that goes into building that. If you do it well, um, it is reusable, so which is nice. Sure. So you guys are obviously a pretty young startup, but you've you guys have had some pretty incredible success so far, and you're in multiple states. So do you want to kind of cover a little bit about how you guys kind of grew to, to multiple states and kind of how you guys are seeing such quick success? Yeah, I mean, we we I was really surprised in a pleasant way the other day. We ran a report, and what I say, 21 months, I guess, 20 almost 22 months we've yeah. been around, and we just passed the 50th bank in wow. that time frame, which is awesome, and uh, many states. So we're pretty excited about that. Um, I, I would have I would have thought you were, you know, joking with me if you know you were telling me that that we, we would be here where we are today. So great team. It's really a, you know, we work hard. It's not easy. It's a, a lot of hard work and a lot of long hours, but we have really great smart people on the team uh, that are working tirelessly to make it happen. And uh, we're, we're pretty fired up about the future. Sure. So how, how big roughly is the team or does it kind of depend because you kind of have this uh, development side? So we're now at 17 uh, folks. Oh, wow. Full-time? Yes. Okay. No, that's that's great. So I, I want to kind of transition into kind of a little bit of the fintech kind of banks working together space. We, we quickly kind of chatted about that before we started recording. And I'm always kind of curious to know, because I, I love companies like yours that I'm going to bring current and modern technology into an industry that's not really known for being technically advanced like the banking industry. I, I, I don't mean that mean. I just think that that's just kind of the reality, right? Yeah, no, we, we look for uh, we look for banks that need or want change, number one. So uh, certainly there are banks out there, community banks, credit unions um, that do need or want change. And the trick is to figure out um, products that really can meet a need that's big enough in the market. So construction loan automation, for example, there's, you know, about half of the, the banks in the U.S. Um, do construction lending. So it's a big enough space and it's very spreadsheet based. Uh, inspectors are going out in the field with um, typically with a clipboard and a, what's called a draw schedule piece of paper updating as they're walking around the house or the commercial project. Uh, what uh, progress has been made on framing and electrical and plumbing and all that good stuff. And then they're taking photos and they're emailing those with attachments back to the loan admin at the bank. And they're, they're taking the uh, document and scanning it to the loan admin who's entering it into a spreadsheet. So we, uh, we felt like uh, based upon the fact that uh, I'm the only board member, by the way, that's not a banker. Okay. So we have really good product insight. We have really good product insight into banking Sure. And so the product ideas typically start from, from Mike, um, 
my uh, partner, who's just amazing at product uh, development and design and banking. And, and so he's on the board of banks. We have others that are CEOs of banks and retired presidents of banks. And so they really provide us great ideas as to, as to what scalable needs are out there. And then we look for those, those kind of early adopter banks, which is always the trick. <laughs> sure. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. It, it's interesting. And to me, I guess, somebody that's kind of I've been in tech for the last couple decades now and I, I sometimes I forget how kind of non-technical some industries are and it always kind of fascinates me because I just assume like I love playing with the latest stuff and it's, it's interesting to go kind of to these industries that haven't really adopted technology yet right and when you bring in something like what you guys are doing at bank labs you are saving them an astronomical amount of time per person if you can just get rid of the some of the manual kind of repetitive tasks of just you know not having to scan in a document or attach it to email like there's a handful of things that you could just kind of automate with technology and using like a phone or tablet to just handle this stuff right as they're on the job site correct yeah oh absolutely it's you know a lot of this stuff, as you know, being in the tech sector is not rocket science. Mm -hmm. It's, however, very difficult to build a really um, well-done product. That That's the hard part. How do you make it elegant? How do you make it simple? How do you make it where it's intuitive? How do you make it to where there's fewer steps versus more? Yeah. Uh, but the general idea of taking, you know, um, an inspection process and, and using a mobile interface to do it or moving documents electronically. I mean, this, this stuff is uh, well-established. There are some things we do, I think, that are really, really clever and or proprietary. And, um, you know, we're big fans of the, the deep thinking stuff. But I think really just developing a great product, you're competing with spreadsheets and really a lack of change. Sure. So you're right. There's a lot of lift, a lot of savings, a lot of risk mitigation, a lot of cycle time improvement. And in bank, uh, in banking, like construction, lending, uh, the banks make money, they make interest when a draw request or a request from a borrower or a builder is made. So the faster they can uh, facilitate that request happening, which involves visibility, sending text messages when things happen to create that visibility, and making it so much easier and faster to happen, then it really improves the profit greatly. Sure. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. So I'm curious then, and maybe I just kind of want your advice on some things is you're working in an industry that has quite a bit of kind of laws and regulations around that. How do you guys kind of work through some of that regulation stuff or is it a little bit more bank specific or is it kind of state specific or is it kind of national or, or is it kind of similar no matter where you go kind of internationally? Yeah, so for it's product specific to a certain degree, then it's just industry specific to another degree. So you have non-public and personal information or NPPI, you have Gramm-Leach-Bliley, you have all the Dodd-Frank regulatory environments. Those are those are the same really okay. across products or very similar at least. And then you have product specific uh, stuff that can change from state to state. So in construction, you have uh, title laws that uh, vary sometimes by state. You have the difference between OCC, Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, which is the federal, a federal regulator. You have FDIC, uh, which um, 
also federal. You have state examiners. They look for similar things, but they have a different bent because they're a state-specific examiner. So they all they all play their part. I think the intent is all good on their part, for sure, which is to provide a healthy, safe banking environment. Uh, and our job is to make it uh, administratively easy yeah. try to get the best of both worlds. Okay, so you guys maybe have to modify a form or, or something here and there to accommodate kind of somewhere in a different state than, I don't know, maybe like California yeah. compared to like, I don't know, New Mexico or something. I, that's a, maybe a bad example, but is that fair to say? Yes, absolutely. So, and it, so you, no, you're right. So examples are in, and I'll just keep coming back to construction, even though we have other products, but sure. uh, in construction lending, you have community property states. I believe there's seven in the U.S. still. Okay. Um, and so you have to have the husband and wife do things individually. Oh, so that's an example of a state-specific uh, policy. You have to have certain borrower acknowledgments in different states. Um, so yeah, there are some definitely there are some differences, and then you have regional differences around the U.S. And uh, those involve how those states have kind of grown to do lending of certain types over the years, and some. Uh, involve what are called disbursement companies. And those are organizations uh, hired by the bank to do certain things. And that's different than banks that do their own stuff internally and they how they interact um, from an internal perspective. So there's no right or wrong. It's just different ways of handling it. But no, you're absolutely right. There's differences you have to keep an eye on all around the country. Okay. So you also have this marketplace and it what is the kind of the marketplace around this whole thing? So the the marketplace, let's go to Oreo, I guess would be, sure. may I jump to Oreo a little bit? Okay, so Oreo, other real estate owned, uh, we have roughly a kind of a three-point theory on life when we look at our product. Okay. Uh, and we try to apply that theory uh, consistently, um, but we only do it where it makes sense. So uh, the three points are mobile marketplace and the financial transaction. So piece one, we want to provide mobile uh, technology to automate these spreadsheet-based processes. So Oreo, other real estate owned, historically is managed via spreadsheets and paper files, and it's very cumbersome, and it, um, it creates a lack of uh, transparency to the process, which can create challenging decision-making by the bank when they're trying to figure out whether to take an, an offer to buy that uh, asset off the balance sheet. And so we want to increase that visibility with and cycle time improvement and admin efficiency with that mobile approach. Part two is the marketplace, as you mentioned. Uh, marketplaces really are meant in our world to take something the bank wants to do better and or does well and take it outside their local market. Okay. And so the marketplace in this case is a pretty clean one. You've got stuff on the bank's balance sheets that they want to get rid of at a reasonable offer. And so the more exposure that we can provide those banks to investors, buyers outside their local market, anywhere around the country, then that's a good thing because it creates more um, visibility to buy side. And then part three is uh, we, uh, where we feel like we can um, uh, see opportunity and provide value to the bank in terms of liquidity, we'll actually invest in that Oreo ourselves. 
so we'll acquire um, those certain properties off the bank's balance sheets and um, get those, you know, help the bank. And we then uh, make those profitable investments on our side. Interesting. Okay. So mobile marketplace and the financial transactions. So we apply that where, where we can, that three-point theory. No, I, I think that's that's really great. And I love how you guys are kind of, you have this like incubator that, that kind of funds obviously like bank labs and it sounds like you're obviously doing kind of other things under that umbrella and then you're using your technology to potentially kind of make your client's stuff, you know, go nationally or beyond. I, I'm assuming that if somebody from another country wants, sees a uh, property that's on the, your system and says like, I want to buy that you're, or invest in that or whatever, you guys can work with them to do that. Is that, is that fair to say? You know, I don't know if we've ever had a foreign, I'll, I'll have to check with the team. I sure. think all the transactions that have occurred in the marketplace have been in the U S uh, but actually I don't know the answer to that. Okay. There could have been some that, uh, well, but sure. we would, we, the only thing there is we would we would just need to follow all uh, regulatory guidelines on sure. uh, real estate transactions and all that good stuff. But great question. I'm going to have to ask the team. Sure. And and I think like what I'm getting at, though, is just like you, you basically are leveraging your current technology kind of to help other people as well. And then you guys could potentially invest in something as well. So it's kind of this just like full circle kind of thing, right, where you're kind of the software is kind of the the middle of it, but you have kind of all these branches that, you know, kind of help and, and build this kind of national community around this thing that you could potentially just stay in North America or, or the States or, or maybe go global at some point if you wanted to, like depending on, you know, money coming in from other uh, other countries. And I guess why I think it's fascinating to me is just I always watch that like million dollar listing show and you just see all that money coming in from, you know, some guy in a different country or family from a different country oh, yeah. just like buys this crazy mansion in the Hollywood Hills or something. And you're like, so, but just being able to have that, right? Because it, it's interesting. That stuff's just kind of fascinating to me. And with the internet, how it just basically connects everybody globally. And it's the geographical yeah. region barrier is kind of gone, right? I, I get you have to follow kind of the legal and um, kind of the process of the state you're buying property in. But I love how you can basically be in another part of the world and buy property kind of down the street from the person you're talking to, but you're in a completely different country. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is, we do have, um, I can't go into too many details, maybe on a future show, but sure. we have some stuff cooking and, and at the, at its core, it is absolutely right. You're absolutely right. It's scalable internationally. If you look at the three approach, really automation, that visibility and that liquidity. And so automation, visibility, and liquidity are, are fairly uh, scalable terms. Uh, as long as you can do them well with quality, uh, certainly scalable outside the U.S. Sure. No, I, I think that's, that's really great. But Matt, we're coming to the end of the show. So maybe let's close with mentioning where people can get more information about you guys and any other social media links you want to mention? Sure. So email in no specific order, but email my uh, email is Matt, M-A-T-T dot Johnner, J-O-H-N-N-E-R at banklabs.com. Matt dot Johnner at banklabs.com. 
uh, you can call my mobile at 214-208-0436. Um, and website, banklabs.com. Uh, you can find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, all that fun stuff. Perfect, Matt. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time of your day to be on the show, and I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the Twitter handle, I forgot to oh, mention, sure, go ahead. at the Bank Labs. At the Bank Labs. Perfect, man. Well, uh, thanks again for doing this. We'll talk soon. Thanks again. Okay. Appreciate it. Okay. Bye. Thanks for listening. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check them out at electricmantra.com and keep them in the future.